Hi, this is David and Barbie Cooper. Thank you for listening to the podcast today. It's always a privilege to share this time with you. Remember to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on social media. And for more information and resources to help you grow in your walk with the Lord, go to malparent.com. Thank you for your generous support. It helps the ministry greatly. Thanks for joining me today as we dig deep in the book of Hebrews, gaining tremendous spiritual insights into the person and work of Christ and how to live an overcoming life. Today, we're gonna look at chapter seven. Here we have a prophetic profile of Jesus. We have an understanding of who he is as our high priest. One of the most interesting features of the Old Testament is its prophetic preview of Jesus. It's looking forward to Jesus. It gives us types and symbols of the Messiah. Now, let me pause right there and explain what I mean by a type. Even in biblical literature, you'll read about biblical typology. A type is an event, a person, an object, a celebration of the Old Testament that points to Jesus. It tells us something about Jesus as our Messiah. A type is a pattern. It's an example. It's a model. You could think of it like a blueprint that's drawn for a building or an architectural rendering, the graphic image they draw of what the finished building will look like. A model. You can build a model of a car. You could build a model, for example, of a house or a building. You could build a model of a garden and say, well, this is what this is going to look like when we finish. So the type is that model, the example. Noah and the ark, for example, the ark is a type of Jesus. We are in Christ saved from the judgments of our sin, the way that Noah and his family. We're not saying that Jesus was an actual ark. The ark is a type, an example. And the Old Testament is filled. The Passover lamb is one of the most important. In the Jewish celebration that started the night they came out of Egypt, it points to Christ. Our Passover lamb, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7. We're going to talk about a particular type, a person in the Old Testament who is a type of Jesus that the writer of Hebrews brings into the story to help us understand the priesthood of Jesus. A man by the name of Melchizedek lived in Abraham's time. That's about 2000 BC. He is a type of Christ as our high priest. Now, he predates Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priests, and that's the point of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews shows us how Jesus fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies, how he completed the law, the Old Testament sacrifices, and the priesthood, providing us what he calls in Hebrews 10 and 22, a new and living way. Now, Melchizedek is a mystery to many people when they read this passage, who Was he? Why is he important? That the writer of Hebrews would bring this person who appears in Genesis 14 in his relationship with Abraham while he introduces him here in the book of Hebrews. Now remember, Hebrews is about presenting Jesus as better. That's the key word, better, which means superior or or sufficient. That Jesus is better than Moses, he says, better than the angels, better than the priesthood of Aaron. In other words, Jesus fulfilled all. Those people were pointing to Jesus. They were announcing Jesus. Jesus is the completion. So Melchizedek is a type of Jesus, priesthood, And the writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that Jesus' priesthood has fulfilled the priesthood of Aaron 
and the high priesthood and the Levitical priest. That's why the sacrifices aren't offered anymore in the Old Testament because they were examples of Christ. Once Christ has come, all those Old Testament sacrificial systems, the festivals, are all fulfilled in Jesus. Now, Melchizedek comes before the law of Moses. He comes before the Aaronic priesthood. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us here in Hebrews chapter 7, this Melchizedek was king of Salem. Now, let's pause there. That is the root of the word Jerusalem, the city of peace. So he's from the actual geographical area, which later becomes the actual capital of Israel, Jerusalem, in the time of Abraham, when Abraham moved his family down to the land of Canaan, now called Israel. So he was a king of Salem and a priest of God most high. So here's a worshiper of the one true living God like Abraham was, and he was a king and a priest. Well, that's pointing to Jesus as the Messiah who is the king. Remember at the triumphal entry when the people threw their coats on the ground and they waved palm branches and they shouted to Jesus, blessed is the king of Israel. But he is also a priest. Jesus is a conquering king and he is an atoning priest. And Melchizedek was an example of that. The writer of Hebrews goes on and tells us that he, Melchizedek, met Abraham returning from the defeat of the kings, and he blessed him. Abraham went and conquered these kings. These are basically like tribal lords, gangs. At that time, there weren't that many people in the world to rescue his family. And Abraham returned from that victory God gave him, rescued his family, and Melchizedek met Abraham coming back from that battle, and he blessed him. And so Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. Now, this obviously teaches us tithing. That's what the word tithe means, a tenth. It, it dates all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the offerings, the first fruit offerings were made by Abel, the first tenth. It's seen all through the scripture, even in the New Testament. This is the, another example of tithing. So Abraham gave him a tenth of everything from the battle. First, the name Melchizedek means king of righteousness and king of peace. Just like Jesus, he is the king of righteousness. He brings us justification by faith, salvation by faith, righteousness through faith. And when we are righteous in God's sight through the forgiveness of our sins, we now have peace. Think of Romans 5 verse 1. Therefore, being justified, that means made righteous through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Just like Melchizedek, Jesus is the king of righteousness. He's the only one that can declare us righteous by forgiving us of our sins and give us true peace. Now, he says here in verse 3 that Melchizedek was without father or mother, without genealogy, without beginning of days or end of life, resembling the Son of God who remains a priest forever. Now, you're asking, well, was Melchizedek some kind of a spiritual alien that didn't have any parents? No. In other words, there's no record. There's no genealogy. People sometimes like to trace their genealogies. You know, who are their grandparents and great-grandparents and on and on. But Melchizedek, there's no historical record. But he says that's an example of Jesus who literally, as the Son of God, is eternal, has no beginning of days nor end of days because Jesus is the Son of God and has always existed with the Father. Verse 4, he says, Just think how great he, Melchizedek, was. Even the patriarch Abraham gave him a tenth of the plunder. Now, we learn here that Melchizedek was a type of Christ, but he was not an early appearance of Jesus. I've seen in some literature where 
historians or biblical scholars, even preachers I've heard say that he was Jesus appearing. That's not true. Jesus, the Son of God, appeared in Bethlehem. John tells us, in the beginning was the Word, that's Jesus. He was with God, and the Word became flesh. Jesus took on a body, the Son of God, came into this world with us. Melchizedek is not Jesus. He's not an appearance of Jesus. He is an example. And so the writer of Hebrews is trying to make a point here because there are many people saying, well, the priesthood of Levi, the priesthood of Aaron, all these sacrifices should be going on. We should still be going to the temple, going through all the rituals. He says, no, there is a priesthood greater than Aaron and the Levitical priest, Jesus. And he says there was one before them. So he uses Melchizedek as an example of Jesus, the King of righteousness, the King of peace, who is eternal without beginning of days or end of days, and that his priesthood is eternal. The Levitical priesthood was temporary, pointing to Christ. He's using this as an example of an eternal priesthood. Jesus was a king and a priest, just like Melchizedek. Jesus has no genealogy in the sense that other than being born in this world with a human body, Jesus was eternal. So he's making an analogy, a comparison, giving us a type of Jesus. Now he says that Melchizedek, how did he become a priest? There was no established Aaronic priesthood at the time. It predates the law by hundreds of years. Well, he was a priest because of God's oath. God declared him a priest, a divine calling. So the writer of Hebrews continues here in Hebrews chapter 7. It says, if perfection... That means the fulfillment of the law, the perfection of atonement for our sins, the finished work of redemption. If perfection be, could have been obtained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law was given to the people, established that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek, not in the order of Aaron? He said if the Levitical priesthood could have brought salvation for sins, why was there a need for the eternal priest Christ to come? Well, the answer is in the question. It was impossible. A human priesthood offering animal sacrifices and going through temporary services and having great celebrations can't redeem the world from sin no more than a church service can save people. Only God has the power to save the soul from sin. Only Jesus has that power to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from eternal life. We gather for worship not to get saved, but because we are saved. We're celebrating what God has done. He continues, and what we have said is even more clear if another priest like Melchizedek appears, one who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to his ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life. He tells us that Jesus isn't our high priest because he was just born into the family. You see, after the time of Moses and Aaron and the Levitical priests, every priest in Israel was a priest. All the males by the age 30 were priests automatically, just being born into the ministry. So whether they were necessarily called to, that's the way the priesthood was structured. Only the, the men from the tribe of Levi, and they went into the priesthood at age 30, and they had a retirement age as well to make room for more priests. They were just born into the priesthood. They lived in six cities in Israel that were given to them. They didn't have any land that they owned. All, everything was provided through the ministry. But he said Jesus wasn't just a priest because he was born in the succession of priests. In fact, he's not from that tribe. He's from the tribe of Judah, we know, from his human ancestry, which is the royal tribe. 
The priests were from the Levitical tribe. But he said that priesthood of Levite and the Aaronic priesthood, the high priest, all that was pointing to Jesus. But they were pointing to this eternal priest. Jesus is appointed as the priest of God because he's the son of God. He has an indestructible life. He's eternal. So his priesthood is eternal. For it is declared, he continues, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. That's the new covenant that he mentioned at the Last Supper. I give you a new covenant. This is the blood of the new covenant shed for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So the priesthood of Aaron, the older brother of Moses, was great. The high priest and then the Levitical order. They served in the tabernacle, laid at the temple in Jerusalem. They did offer the sacrifices. They led the worship services. They prayed for the people and had a great ministry. But their ministry wasn't permanent. They were all pointing to Jesus, the fulfillment. And he says that Jesus is a priest, not of the Aaronic order, a priest just because of a natural ancestry. You're born into the ministry. He said he's a priest like Melchizedek. Melchizedek came before the law. Christ fulfilled the law. He's a priest because he's the son of God. He is eternal he not only is the priest, he's the sacrifice. He's not only the sacrifice, he is the temple. He fulfilled everything. The word perfection here means the completion of God's plan of salvation. When you see that word perfection at the beginning of this passage, to perfect something means to finish it. He says that the Aaronic priesthood could not finish the work of salvation. They only testified to it. They only pointed to it. They only taught about God's saving grace. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. So that's the perfection he's talking about, perfecting, finishing God's plan of salvation. It did not come through the sacrifices of the Levitical priesthood, but it came through Jesus. The priest served on the basis of an ancestry, but Jesus serves on the basis of an indestructible life. And God's oath, God's declaration that Jesus is the high priest for the world forever. The only priest, you know, a lot of religious figures have claimed to be prophets, but nobody ever claimed to be a priest. But a prophet brings us a message. A priest intercedes for our sins and the world needs a priest to save us from sin. And he tells us third of all that Jesus' priesthood is permanent. The Levitical priesthood was temporary. It was for that period in the Old Testament and now fulfilled in Jesus. And he goes on to tell us in verse 23 and following, now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, I love this passage. He, Jesus, is able to save completely. Just stop right there and think about that. He's, when you're saved by grace through faith in Jesus, he not only has the power to save, he has the power to keep you. You're saved completely, completely, totally. You don't have to add anything to that. We need to worship God and pray and help the poor and give. We do that because we are saved, because we want to help others know Christ. We're not doing that to add to our salvation. When we put our faith in Jesus, he saves us completely. And he's able to save you completely into eternity. Don't worry about dying. Don't worry about whether or not you're securing your salvation. He has the ability to save you completely. He's not going to let you go. He's able to save completely those who come to God through him. That's why we pray in Jesus' name. We come to God through Jesus because he always lives to intercede for them. Think about that. Jesus lives always to intercede for us, to care for us, to help us, to intervene for us. Jesus is always for you, never against you. He always lives to intercede for you. Such a high priest, he's speaking of Jesus, 
He truly meets our need, and he's the only one who can meet our spiritual need. He is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. When we look at this last passage, verses 23 through 28, we're reminded of three great truths that we want to celebrate today. Think about these three great truths throughout this day. One, Jesus lives forever. Number two, Jesus saves completely. Number three, Jesus meets our needs. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the amazing insights of the Word of God through the book of Hebrews. We thank you for Jesus Christ, our great high priest. Lord Jesus, we worship you. You have truly met our need of grace and salvation and deliverance. And today we celebrate the fact that you are a priest forever. You're able to save us completely. You meet every need that we have and you hold us to the very end. We give you praise today and worship you. Thank you so much for joining me today. What a rich study as we're digging deep in the book of Hebrews, learning about Jesus. The next teaching is going to be powerful as well. Make sure that you're following me on the sermon podcast. Get the Mount Perrin app today. If you don't have it, go to the app store. You'll get it quickly. Download it. See everything going on in the church, the ministries that you can participate in, the amazing ministries and opportunities for your family as well. Thank you for your gracious, faithful support of the Mount Perrin ministries. What we do, we do together. I pray you have an incredible day. I trust the message has been an encouragement to you today. Remember to follow us on social media and connect with us at mountperrin.com. I'll see you right here next week for a fresh message from God's Word.